Dear Broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, abortion.com. I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. You just gotta, you just gotta find the fuel that fuels you, that motivates you internally. Yeah. It has to be intrinsic. It can't come from these external sources because they'll just let you down, man. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pod Broads. This is a podcast about women in podcasting, and I'm your host, Alexandra Cole. Alexandra. Hello, my fellow broadies. And if you're listening to this and you're like, what the fuck is a broadie? And you don't follow me on Instagram, then you may have missed that I recently found out that broadie is a slang word. Well, one of the meanings is a slang word for basically like a skank, gold digger, some other degrading descriptions about women. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make Brody the new bitch. We're gonna take that back. I had a good group of people on Instagram confirm that they liked being called Brodies as listeners of the pod broads. But if you're listening to this and you haven't seen that yet, please feel free to let me know what you think about us claiming Brodies as our own. And if so, I'm gonna keep going with it and just make this a community of Brodies. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you. It is with someone who I have been able to collab with over the last almost year and a half. And uh, this was the first time I really got to get into her story. So today you're going to hear my interview with Lauren Popish, the founder of The Wave, which is a company that teaches women how to build successful podcasts so that they can grow their audience, share their message and get paid while doing it. If this isn't your first time listening to my podcast, then you'll already be familiar with The Wave since I feature an ad for it on most of my episodes. But what you haven't gotten to hear yet is all about how Lauren and I met, the work we have done together before all of this, all about her now recently retired podcast, Buck Wine Club, and of course, her journey into and throughout this industry. I think one of my favorite parts about this interview is that despite having known Lauren for over a year now and having collaborated with her in many different ways, there were still things in her story, specifically her podcast story, that I had just never learned or realized were a part of her journey. 
And it is a quintessential example of why I started this podcast in the first place. So we can really get to know the women behind all these dope creations. In our conversation, Lauren really gets into the moment that now triggers her intense fear of public speaking, how she has learned to cope with that and thrive despite it, how it propelled her into this entrepreneurial journey that really works. And I say works because she also gets into being a quote unquote serial ideas person. We get into conversation around the importance of community for fellow entrepreneurs and podcasters. And she also talks about failures that she has had along the way. Something I have always appreciated and respected about Lauren is that she really practices what she preaches. She's open to feedback, which she mentions during this conversation, and she really strives to challenge herself to do better and grow. And that honestly came into play right after we finished recording this episode. This happened because toward the end of the episode, she shares about her newest venture with The Wave, which is called Swell, an editing service for and by women that is now officially open to all of you as you are hearing this podcast. And in the announcement, when we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, she had explained how the editors are women in developing nations and they are paid a livable wage. And when I first heard it, I had one of those reactions where the, in the moment I said, oh, that's dope or something like that, which you'll hear. I just don't remember what it was while I'm recording this. And then when the moment passed, I was like, wait, hold on. Something doesn't sit right with me about that phrasing. And so I want to understand more. So right when we had kind of finished the outro and put everything on pause, I was like, okay, hold on. What exactly does that mean? Because to me, it doesn't sound exactly ethical, you know? And so Lauren walked me through what that actually meant and now actually calls it a quote unquote thriving wage. I've included their article in the show notes so you can read more about how this is actually calculated. Um, and especially if you're like me and the phrase livable wage kind of gives you pause, you can just see how transparent she's being in the development of this and where you can go to get more information about it. Okay, I think that covers everything. So now it's time to get right into what Lauren was doing before she was helping out all these women in the podcasting space. What's cool is that I'm sure many people will already be a little familiar with you because they've heard me talk about you and the wave on my ads during the pod broads. But Lauren, why don't you now take over and officially introduce yourself in your words, who you are, separate from work and in the work that you do? I was just listening to this question on your other episodes and I was like, <laughs> what am I going to say for life outside of work? Um, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I am a pod broad. I love my other pod broads. I just am, feel like I'm at home here. I am the founder of The Wave Podcasting. It is a community that helps women start and grow podcasts. We offer educational resources. We used to offer studio space and then COVID hit and now we're all <laughs> digital. We offer community. I mentioned that, but uh, we also have a new little offering, mm. which is podcast audio editing services for women Ooh. by women. I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's what I do with the majority of my time. And because I'm self-employed and because I'm a founder, it means that my personal life and my my business life are, are one in the same. But I will say the person I am when I'm not doing all things podcasting, I've been really into tennis. I really want to be like Ooh. a tennis gal, like full, <laughs> like I want the fashion. I want the, I want the, you know, athleticism. I'm like, I'm trying to be like a tennis player. So that's my, that's me, podcaster slash aspiring tennis pro. 
I love that. That's such a fun answer. And also puppy mother to Miss Ruthie. Pup- puppy mother. <laughs> we were just talking about how the the many emotions of, of motherhood, pride, <laughs> love, terror, <laughs> anger, yes. hostility, all of these mm-hmm. things. I have felt them all. I'm sure all my pet moms and, and human moms and everyone else can relate to that. But yeah. Bless our partners who who choose to take our animals out on walks while we podcast. What would we do without them? <laughs> I love it. I know. I've been thinking about and loving how much more conversation has been around motherhood and just what that really entails. And I've been like thinking seriously and also kind of funny, like funnily, not a word, but I wanted to use it. Uh, but how we need to talk about that more as pet parents because of course it's not the same but there's also a lot of elements where the preparation for a human child is real like I need like when I think we talked about this in the past but like when me and my boyfriend got our kitten I was like I need like pet parental leave for this Mm. shit like this is a lot Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) I mean I lost six weeks of my business and just had to, and it's it's an awkward email to send. Like, hey, sorry, I can't um, get on this call with you. I just got a puppy. Like, a lot of people don't see right. that as a good reason. But as Angela from the office says, the world does not yet acknowledge pet pet maternity leave. But I I think it's only a matter of time because that mm-hmm. that shit is real. Yeah, it is. It is, and you know, bereavement as well. That's real. Like these pets are our family. It it needs to be taken more seriously. One hundred percent. Don't even. I know Ruth will live forever. I don't know what to do. I'll yeah. never have oh, to yeah. go through I, that. I'm not talking about no. Ruthie. Just, no. You know other situations Mm -mm. but yes anyway enough about our pets so I want to we're definitely going to get more into the wave but I want to bring us back a little bit and hear a little bit about Lauren even before uh even before the book wine club like let's go back in time and get a sense of you and how you found yourself at the point of wanting to start that podcast wow I am trying, I'm like, how far do I, I was born on a cloudy day. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's a good question because it's been a, a, a winding road to get to where I am now. And I think a lot of people, as they get older, realize how many turns they've taken that were so different from what they imagined when they graduated college. I have uh, an interior design degree. And when I was graduating, my dream job was working at a really big corporate architecture firm in New York. And I clawed my way in to get an entry level position there. And I was so, it was like, and maybe still is in some way, top 10 accomplishments of my life. You know, being so determined to get something and working my tail off. And, you know, I called them <laughs> to like, hey, um you know, I'm applying for this job. And they're like, yeah, um, we're not really looking. But if you were ever in New York, we could show you the office. So I like booked a flight to New York and I showed up and they were like, you know, and I and I brought my A game. And before I left, they were like, listen, we don't do this, but we don't want anyone else to hire you. We don't really have a position for you, but we can't let you go and offered me a job on the spot. I mean, I was to the moon. And 
one of the hardest things I ever had to deal with was figuring out having how having a goal that big and that consuming what you do after you achieve that, especially mm-hmm. when your goal is so fixed. It was around a job title. It's around a company name and it was around, uh, you know, a location really had nothing to do with the way I wanted to spend my time, didn't really have a lot to do with my value system. And what ended up happening is I got into this job, had built it up as as something way bigger than it could ever be as an entry-level interior designer, and was like very quickly disappointed with the experience of working there for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons. They work you to, you know, to death in, in this industry. I was doing a lot of computer work when really I loved to be client facing. I wanted to have conversations, presenting and speaking were my best skills at that time. And so I just started daydreaming about how I could leave my own mark. If if it wasn't mm-hmm. if it wasn't being a cog in a giant machine that is, you know, at the time that I felt was so reputable and so good, like a, a cog worth being, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Oh, yeah. If it wasn't that, then it would have to be me paving my own way. And I I just was looking around. I don't want to say like the Internet was young, but it wasn't. But it was (laughs) it was like the ways to navigate the Internet to to, for discovery were new to me. So I was looking finding all these young entrepreneurs raising money, starting startups, making stuff. And I was like, I want to be a business. I want to be an entrepreneur. And I kind of mm-hmm. took one of two paths that uh, that I laid out. I said, I can go to business school and pursue this um, and and try and education my way into a into a startup idea. Or yeah. I could go just start working at a startup and just get my feet wet, wet with what that experience means and see if it's even a place I want to be. Something slightly mm-hmm. more experimental, lower cost on all fronts, lower time cost, lower cost, cost, money cost. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It didn't cost me to go take a, a, jo- a job somewhere else. So I applied to a real estate startup that I could use some of my old interior design architecture skills, mm-hmm. apply them to the same sort of industry, but get a peek inside something totally different. And wow, what an eye-opening experience that was. It showed me a what is so great about tech which is that it's lasting it's low cost it's accessible there's all these great reasons why we're all starting internet businesses right it's because it's mm-hmm. it's so dang easy and i just learned a lot of valuable skills about being a woman in in that industry um i played a lot of different roles and i learned that not every good idea not every idea you have or business idea is a good one. And just, you know, nine times out of 10, you can go pursue an idea and it just fails for no good reason. Like, yeah, you could have loved it and put a lot of time and energy into it. So I think that the most important thing I got out of that was iterating, coming up with a lot of, you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket and mm-hmm. Asking for lots of feedback and being willing to change and, and get that user user perspective on your company. So that by the time I knew that I needed to make some kind of brand for myself that was going to stick, regardless, mm-hmm. like related to whatever industry I chose, podcasting seemed like a really great option because the, it was so obvious how authentic it was and how, um, you know, 
it didn't require time in the sense that it didn't require me manufacturing images or um, writing a whole bunch of blog content. I could just get on and be myself. I didn't know what mm -hmm. I was going to podcast about. I didn't know what brand I wanted to build out, but I knew that I just had this feeling that podcasting was going to be the way I could build my brand for myself. And it's just so funny because doing the act of podcasting gave me my big business break idea that I'd been working on for years and trying on all different concepts. I mean, what you don't see is the graveyard of businesses I had before then and Instagram accounts and domain names. I was going to do career matching, like a dating service where you match you as the employee to an an employer the way that you do like a dating profile. Oh, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one idea. Um, I had a, an interior design services uh, company idea. At one time, I was looking at... Um, like this is so embarrassing insects as a form of alternative protein like a really <laughs> yes because that's amazing oh my god I mean my family I mean when I created the wave my sister said I will only follow your Instagram account after you've made one dollar because that's how many she was like I'm, I'm wow. tired of of following all your business accounts. Oh, wow. Wait, so I have to ask because this was something I was curious about. And now that you just mentioned that about your sister, I, I'm always interested to see who is around the person who has decided to go down the entrepreneurial path. So like, is that something that you saw in either your immediate circle or in your family? Or have you kind of been that one person who's just going for it and if like what have been the reactions of the people beyond your sister and how have you handled their reactions I have always felt like I have lacked a certain amount of network or community that values the same things I value which is around uh not not personal values or like the way that you live your life but um surrounding myself with other entrepreneurs people who are have their own businesses are self-employed that hasn't stopped me from trying to pursue my own things, but it has probably created a situation where I've tried too many times, like where where it could have been easier had I had the right community and people around me. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you what, I'm also so bad at asking for help. I, I, I have to examine it in myself because I think I'm so so determined and I've had so many experiences where I actually felt that I was the smarter person in in the room and had more mm. senior people telling me what to do and just because of their experience level and their age that their thoughts were more important than mine I like so I've had some experiences with that and so I wonder if that has just turned me into this person who is like you know what I'm just going to figure it out on my own. I'm going to force it. I'm not going to ask for help. But I do see it as a something that I've lacked. Now, as I've actually started to sink in to this, like this entrepreneurship thing, mm -hmm. being a founder of a company that's existed for over a year now, I am starting, woo, woo I'm starting <laughs> to find that community. It comes out organically, right? You mm -hmm. You start to 
lean on people who have same the same experiences as you or similar challenges and struggles but the people around me at the time i mean i'll tell you it's been it's been kind of a, a lonely road i've had mm-hmm. a lot of support in a very superficial sense where people are like yeah go for it but mm-hmm. i haven't had a lot of other mentorship or peer support from people actually helping me craft and build the business. And I think what's funny is that you and I met because I saw that you were doing stuff online that was similar to me. And I, and I, or, or maybe you reached out for, I don't remember, but we no, found you each reached, other. You reached out to me and I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Someone's been like noticing my work and I had no idea that they were reading it. And because you wanted to talk about like me writing some stuff for the wave right like doing some type of collaboration there and that was like you were one of the catalysts for me being like oh what i'm doing is having impact that i don't even see until you know i know that it's happening right until someone reaches out and it's like oh i've been watching you i've been seeing you so it's like you can create your own community i this year 2021 one person like personal slash professional goal I have is to build out my network of peers who are entrepreneurs in the podcasting space more intentionally, not just falling into these relationships, but really proactively going out and saying, hey, I see what you're doing. Um, You know, I'm also in this sphere. Can we either work together or just like be aware of each other and like throw bones (laughs) to each other when we want. Sometimes it's not always about, you know, should we schedule an Instagram live? Um, I love that as a way to to connect. But sometimes it's just like, I just want you to know I'm I'm a person in the world who like subscribes to your newsletter. And like, Mm -hmm. maybe you care about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and you know what I find interesting, because while you were kind of talking about, you know, your sister, people around you, the the type of mentality that you were kind of lacking and seeking out as you were entering into this entrepreneurial space. You also mentioned how when you started the book wine club podcast, that was kind of an intentional inception point of this is how I'm going to start to build my brand. But didn't you do, isn't it with your sister? Isn't she like also a part of that? So I I wonder how that came into, like, did she know that that was a part of the plan or was it more just like, we're going to do this fun thing? She became a season two host. So she wasn't originally a part of my podcast. Mm. And it's funny how my whole family and kind of everyone you know, if you're a person who starts a lot of projects and you don't finish a lot of projects, I personally, I mean, I have a lot of I think evidence and thoughts about how trying and starting and bailing out on on ideas that aren't working is actually a really great quick way to get to the stuff that works. And I think mm. if you were to look at famous creatives and people who have achieved a lot, you know, Pablo Picasso, all of these incredible renowned creatives, guess what? They produced more work anyone else they were prolific and they got to Mm -hmm. their hits their best work the renowned art that you know not from being just like a a genius in their own right they got there through insane practice and prolific Mm -hmm. repetition that got them to the final product there is a 
a boatload of old sketches and drawings and, you know, little pieces of artwork that Pablo Picasso has that no one would blink an eye at and probably call shit. But now that we know who he is, we're all like, yeah, I'll definitely auction, like buy that in an auction for $100,000. But my point is, there's a lot of evidence that iteration works. But when mm-hmm. you're when you're not in it, your friends and family around you are, are looking at you like you're a quitter or like you can't finish a project. So the second the second that you start to gain traction, all mm-hmm. of those people will say that they knew from the very beginning <laughs> that you were bound for success. <laughs> but none of them, you know, and maybe in some cases this is true. I, I don't want to sound bitter because I, I never asked for help. And so, you know, nobody yeah. needed to help me. But my sister, of course, now loved participating in the podcast on season two. Mm-hmm. Thinks podcasting in general is a very cool thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, and loves she she tells her friends about it and I get referrals from her. Um, but a year ago is a very different story. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's why it is important to have a community who understands what you're what you're doing because yeah, entrepreneurship in the beginning does just look kind of like a hobby. If you're not making a lot of money and you're not, you know, you're not written up in publications, the beginning looks amateurish because it is. But yeah. you know, but uh, it's really that's why when we talk about overcoming as entrepreneurs, you know, go, mm-hmm. digging through the mud and the trenches of those early, early days, every entrepreneur has that story. You listen to how I built this, and that's like the <laughs> whole content of the podcast is those early, you know, di- in the ditch days that nobody hears about because you know no one was there to to celebrate you during those times. So I I'm loving these early days. I I look at things like my bank account and things like <laughs> my email list and all these places where there should be indicators of success and they're not there yet. But yeah. every once in a while, I just keeps there's there's another little light at the end of the tether, tunnel, another indication that I'm on the right track and that the what the work we're doing is is resonating. And that's you just gotta you just gotta find the fuel that fuels you that motivates you internally it has to be intrinsic it can't come from these external sources because they'll just let you down man lauren i feel like i'm having like a motivational session with you for my own business right now (laughs) i love it it's it's co you know as i'm saying this i'm like wow that sounds great lauren Uh, i know i know (laughs) i I always like to say that because i think you know we all are experts on our personal experience on the things that we've witnessed and the ways that we can relay that to other people. And at the same time, whenever I'm like saying or posting something on Instagram, I have like, or like on my social media feed on a podcast that I'm talking on, there's always a point like uh, periodically where I'm just like, just so y'all know, this is a reminder to me as I'm literally typing this out because I also need those like visual reminders, auditory reminders for myself, as well as for the things that I've learned and I want to share with you all. Absolutely. You can know something is true. Oh, yeah. And not internalize it until you say it out loud or you express it. I mean, that's why cliches are so cliche, because they're Mm -hmm. true, but they're only true when you recognize that they're true, you know, when they when they resonate with you. So 
whatever. I, you know, I'm going to listen back to this episode and take my own advice every once in a while, I guess. Right. I'm going to use this as a good motivator. It's funny because I think we hear this a lot, especially with women podcasters, but they either like don't like the sound of their voice or just like super critical when listening back. And I actually love listening back to episodes that I've done because while I can be reflective on them and there may be things I notice of like, oh, I would have maybe said that differently now or I've like shifted my perspective a little bit. I also like hearing myself when I've been in modes of like just feeling either like confident or having fun or just expressing myself in however I wanted to express myself that day. And it's just good. It's a good reminder. So totally. It's so funny. Just you just don't that. know how, how your message is going to come out one day. I did a podcast recording last week after coming off a 30 minutes of being live on Instagram. Oof. I sounded Oof. like the most hyped up, insane, like tech god guru. I was just, <laughs> I was saying things like, like I had, I was the one who wrote fact, you know, like, <laughs> like this is like, I'm my words are truth and I'm going to speak them to you. I got done. I was like, I was kind of like <laughs> preaching the gospel back then. Like it was <laughs> whatever, you know, I, I sometimes I can't listen, but not be, I, I think my voice sounds fine, but sometimes you just, you get into such a state with these conversations, but dang, if you've never been on a podcast, if you've never had one of these intimate, intimate conversations with another person where you're not distracted Mm -hmm. it's being recorded you're so thoughtful about what you're saying and you're you're in such a deep state of listening Mm -hmm. it is you can come out on the other end of a 90 minute conversation and you were in total flow and i feel like that is such a rare thing to to have to have anymore regardless of what came out i mean it's a cathartic experience every time i get on the mic so i i don't regret a thing Hey friends, just a brief pause from this conversation so I can tell you about The Wave Podcasting. The Wave is a company that helps women grow their podcasts so they can build an audience and get paid. They offer educational resources and a digital community of which I am a part of and have gotten to meet some pretty dope women and get some great tips along the way. Plus, the founder, Lauren Popish, is a huge reason I've been able to start this podcast. She helped me find the perfect recording equipment for my setup and just get really comfortable with jumping in for the first time. And here's what's cool. They have a free mini guide that will help you kickstart your podcast growth strategy that you can download today by going to the show notes to find the link to their website. And when you're ready, you can purchase a complete guide to podcasting and use my code PODRALAND, P-O-D-D-R-A-L-A-N-D-10 to get 10% off the total cost. So ladies, come podcast. I'm also thinking of, you did a written interview with Sounder FM and for their like hashtag sound her series. And one of the parts that you mentioned in that con- in like that i guess conversation that interview is when you would have friends on for the book wine club and how like they would be really nervous and you were like oh it's my job to make them feel more comfortable and also like why are you so nervous like we're friends in like real life and it just got me thinking like 
because I feel really like at ease right now, but also anxious because there's this layer of like, you want to make sure that it's going good for your future listeners who are going to be hearing this, but also want to be really present and like aware. And also we've talked a million times, but not in this way. Like I'm finding out even more about you that I didn't get to before, you know, <laughs> like, cause I didn't, I didn't know the, the like nitty gritty history of the interior design world, Lauren, before she got to podcasting world and I'm like loving now getting to hear that that is so funny that in all this time that it's things like that don't come out because you're just the person that you are in that moment yeah mm-hmm. I I mean to everyone you gotta go get on a podcast be a guest go pitch yourself go pitch your expertise in whatever it is you don't have to be a business owner just go you know add some value somewhere to someone's show because it is a one-of-a-kind experience and such a a flow present state that will make you think more about your speaking. I'm all about podcasting as a way to improve your speaking skills. I think that is very true. We speaking is a muscle and when you actually think about it and concentrate on it, you improve at it. And so rarely mm-hmm. we speak in an intentional way, right? You're all I you are all about using words both written and spoken intentionally podcasting Mm -hmm. is such a great way to flex that muscle i mean i think everybody should do it yeah yeah it's it's definitely very fun um and kind of to that public speaking point you've mentioned in the past how you've really struggled with public speaking in certain scenarios so can we hear a little bit more about that like what actually would happen to you prior to a public speaking engagement and what have been some of the ways like podcasting not podcasting but just like that you've been able to either grow with that or get tools to kind of cope yeah with with the anxiety that comes up I am I hear the word public speaking anxiety and I get my skin starts to prickle a little bit. It's a crazy story. It's very specific. It, it was, I, I've had other people come to me and say they have had a similar experience, mm. but I, my journey with public speaking is not what I would consider a typical one. I grew up being extroverted and getting praised for speaking as like a, a thing that I was doing. I was in theater. I wanted to be an actress. I was notoriously loud and dramatic in the sen- <laughs> in the fashion that like theater kids are. Um, yeah, I love it. I I think I mentioned that one of my biggest complaints going into the job uh, working world out of school was having to sit, how to having to be a producer when all mm-hmm. I really wanted to do was go have a relationship with with clients and and go out and speak and present my expertise. But I took on a role at uh, that startup that I moved to. I did a lot of different roles for them. And, uh, you know, I guess it would be about four years ago, I moved into their sales team, which is about as client facing as you can get, right? You're Mm -hmm. just, you're out there, you're talking to people, you're pitching, you're selling. We were at that point, we had gotten acquired by a very large real estate company. So our clients were, you know, some of the largest companies in the world, uh, CEOs, CFOs, heads of real estate for massive companies. I mean, stakes were really high. I saw it as a really rewarding performative experience. Like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. and I get to go impress really fancy people. <laughs> 
we went on tour for um, what we called a road show. We went, we went and when we got acquired to different regions around the U.S. and pitched all of their offices in a four-week span. So I was in the southeast region. I visited 22 cities in four weeks. Wow. And on the very last presentation in Charleston... I was in the middle of this like routine presentation. I I, I just mentioned I had given it 22 uh-huh. times in the past in the past 4 weeks. And I was kind of speaking quickly. I started hyper, you know, I wasn't breathing out. Uh-huh. And I just had a full-blown panic attack in this room of oh, no. real estate bros i mean i think it's like nothing on them it was just like it's just it's a bunch of real estate bros right not an ideal scenario not an ideal scenario but what what more was the fact that i for the first time realized that speaking could be vulnerable and scary i had Mm. never had any experience like that i had never even thought to be nervous in a presentation mm-hmm. it was just my best skills i had i was so practiced i was so it was so natural i'd been praised for it my whole life i had to exit the room i had to you know this the kind of quarter coordinator woman came out you know i kind of played it off like i was having a cough like mm. like i couldn't speak very well she goes here's some water let's go back in there i was like i don't i don't think i can i don't think i can go back in I ended up sitting down, finishing the meeting, and I. What ended up happening is, is it sparked a, a such severe public speaking anxiety that I had to leave that role. I couldn't do mm-hmm. sales anymore. I, um, you know, there was a period of time where like I couldn't even sit in a room with like a peer, a coworker. I was so afraid I was going to have a panic attack while speaking. It was just such a yeah. intense, weird thing. And I'll tell you. Um, there was a lot of times when I just was like, I guess that period of my life of like being a confident speaker is just over. I guess that's, Mm. I'll never feel that way again. And to some degree, my relationship with speaking will never be the same, but I can so happily say four years later after lots of, I'm a, I'm a toasty. I'm a toast. I got into Toastmasters and have been in that organization for the past two years and also a lot of really specialized therapy around, um, around phobias and around anxiety. And I'll tell you what the cure is. Um, it's exposure. You got to get out and do it again and again and again. It's so miserable. It's Uh so vulnerable, but now I'm kind of obsessed with the craft of speaking. And I'm such a better speaker now than I ever was before because I practice. I never used mm-hmm. to practice. I am more thoughtful about what I'm doing. I'm slower. I'm more controlled. And I'm way more empathetic for other people who have mm-hmm. both my listeners who might have a weird relationship with like speaking and watching someone speak and when I'm an audience member I mean I Mm -hmm. used to see someone kind of get a little like flop sweaty you know and be like you know who gets nervous speaking that's such a lame thing you know it's embarrassing to think that but but it just came from never having had that experience before podcasting has been a really natural 
safe environment to practice the act of speaking, but it wasn't enough to get me over that that full fear. What I've had to come to terms with is, like all things in life, discomfort is an okay sensation to have. It doesn't mean an inevitable demise. And you just have to become comfortable being uncomfortable, which is such a cliche and mm-hmm. out of context, it means nothing. But in context, mm-hmm. it just means that I can, given a 30-minute presentation, be sweating my butt off, have my heart racing, have dry mouth. And that's just okay to have. It's okay to have those sensations. And mm-hmm. guess what? If at the time that I had that panic attack, I had mono. I didn't know it. My <laughs> body was reacting to, oh, God. to stress and fatigue and all kinds of other factors. So of yeah. course I had a natural physical reaction. I'm now more accepting of the fact that like things can go wrong. A presentation can flop. A presentation can be derailed in the middle because you do feel so ill that you have to stop it. We're all human. I mean, yeah. a part of my therapy was watching like dozens of hours of people giving horrible, horrible presentations, like your worst fear presentations, throwing up on stage, having some kind of physical, you know, all of those things. What you realize is that human, we're all human. And that there's a lot of people and a lot of people you respect and know who have had way more embarrassing, way more high stakes problems on stages than you have. And they're not remembered for that. And your audience ultimately, maybe in the moment is like, wow, bummer. Most people are empathetic and are more willing to be like, is she okay? Than to be like, Mm -hmm. what an idiot, you know? Um, Right. And if that is their reaction, then that's on them. them. (laughs) That's on them. You you know, you hope that they never have a vulnerable situation in in their whole life, you know, uh, where where they might want empathy from someone else. Uh, yeah, exactly. It has been a long road. Podcasting has been such a critical part of that. And it has just furthered my passion for why, how easy it is to stop speaking up when mm-hmm. you're, when it feels uncomfortable and it doesn't feel natural. And, and guess what? 75% of the public has public speaking anxiety. And the majority of that, those people are women. So, you know, it has just made the mission of helping women have the confidence to speak up, tell their stories, share their brand, build their business through podcasting. It has been incredibly personal. And that may be part of the reason this business has stuck as well. It actually feels good. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, the whole time you were talking there were like moments of my own experience just like resonating with that not not the public speaking bit in terms of like that level of anxiety but like a moment that was just so normal that just went awry and then basically gave me like PTSD about something as mundane as eating and then like having to figure out how to cope with that and find ways to expose yourself and either trust yourself or trust other scenarios but also that piece of like looking back at these moments that were absolute shit and just like horrible as a personal experience and then seeing how you were able to 
you specifically and then you as the general sense of all of us, but be, when we're able to flip that into something that gives us drive in something we either want to create or put out, out into the world or the way that we interact with people and how that changes and makes us more empathetic or just like opens us up to this type of like reality we maybe we're not thinking about in a way that we needed to be. So I think that I love hearing that because that's another thing I didn't really know. Like I knew like the very like surface of like, oh, the public speaking bit, but not that intense part of the story. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You hear public speaking anxiety and you're like, who doesn't have a little twinge right. in the stomach? No, this is, I mean, it became debilitating. Yeah. Full physical shutdown mode like I said, to the point where I had to leave my job. But the I think it's so interesting when you say, you know, isn't it cool when we can take these things that harm us or hurt us and use it to, uh, you know, build a business, build a movement, make impact and try and help others through our own experience. It That, that instinct was not natural for me to build mm -hmm. this business around this fear. You know, I was literally ideating, brainstorming, thinking up concepts of like, how do I... If I'm going to build a business, I, I have to connect. I have to give a gift to my audience, and it has to be it has to be really valuable. And I was brainstorming. I was like, okay, trying different techniques. What is something that I've struggled with that I think I could help other people with? And it was like all these different things, like um, confidence and blah blah blah. And then I was like, public <laughs> speaking, and my own mind was like, that's we can't go there. That's way that's right. way too real to mm -hmm. um so like it's so easy to say be vulnerable and then only expose the things that you're willing to be vulnerable vulnerable about it's a whole other thing to like dig into your so insides and look in those dark ass corners where you've been hiding and um and had crutches and been paralyzed to make action around and dig that out and say how do i go expose this to a whole bunch of people it took mm -hmm. a long time for me to convince myself that that was even something I was capable of doing, let mm -hmm. alone something worth doing that I could build a business model around. Um, and it has evolved, right? Because not everybody experiences that degree of, of public speaking. But being a confident, telling, I am still so convinced that it is on us to tell our own story of ourselves, our brands, our companies, and that women above others have societally and just personally more barriers to get out and tell that story with pride and confidence. So that mm -hmm. message is still just something I care so much about, even if it's not specifically about the public speaking, but it took, it was not an I'll just say yeah. it, it, I made it sound like the conclusion was easy. And of course, it sounds easy to to build a business <laughs> around the things that you're, you yourself are working on. It didn't feel that way at the time. It took a yeah. lot of my own convincing to get there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely feel the same. And I think it's so important to say and recognize that part of it because there is this group of people who might like think or look at certain things of like, oh, I can use this traumatic moment as a way to push this in like a very superficial sense. And what's unfortunate is that like that minority group of people who do do that can kind of fuck it up for the people who it's just like, well, this is just my personal path and this is the shit I've worked through. And you've put in the work, you've put in the work 
the, you know, for me, like prolonged exposure, which is the exposure therapy, probably quite similar to what you had to do um, for a different thing um, for the public speaking bit, whereas mine was like sexual trauma. And it's like, it's a different thing, but it's, we've gone through the steps of being able to kind of reconcile at least part of that within our identity to be able to then move forward and talk about it in a way where it's just, this is literally my experience it it could be nothing else and so I'm just going to talk about my experience and how it informs the value system that I move through in the work that I do and that's the piece you know absolutely absolutely well I think it's no coincidence that for me at least having this business that is centered on a on a value like confidence in speaking, not just the Mm -hmm. actual act of using your voice, but I mean, promoting yourself, you know, speaking up on your, being an advocate for yourself. That's what I mean by speaking as well as literally speaking. It's no coincidence that all of these other business ideas, you know, this long list of of Instagram accounts and, and domain names died because they were about a product, a, a mm-hmm. thing. But every day I wake up motivated and intrinsically motivated to go chip away at this like unsolvable goal. Um, it's not a necessity for anyone to take their trauma or take their experience and go profit right. from it. But I will say there is something to building a business if you're going to build one that is pure in in its relationship to your values and how intrinsic motivation is is key to longevity mm-hmm. because motivators like money, power, other Instagram followers, <laughs> it just won't get you up on the hardest, hardest mornings when you're tired and, you know, Ruth has been keeping you up all night and, <laughs> you know, and there's so many other things in life. It just, it's, it's, it won't get you out of bed. Now, yeah something that comes deep from within i'll i'll you know kick my shoes on and just make it happen you know what what is that kick your shoes on what is that term even <laughs> my point is i keep coming back and it, it's been it means what you needed it to mean in that moment yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it's no coincidence that 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 this business has stuck but also that yeah. it comes from that it is so deeply connected with me Definitely. I, I also want to talk a little bit more about kind of that that inner work, the harder parts of that, and in relation to to the wave and the work that you've been doing this last year. I mean, what a year. And there's <laughs> there's um, I, a couple of things that I know that we talked about, like personally, over the course of the past year in terms of like anti-racism work. And even I was listening to the book Wine Club and you had two episodes, the part one and part two on the white fragility episode. And I was listening to those. And also uh, not even just in terms of race, but in terms of like us understanding and specifically you and me understanding terminology that's actually going to be inclusive for the women that we're trying to reach and the communities we're trying to reach. So just as like a setup. And then now what I want to ask you is what has been like some of your biggest learning curve and maybe even like failures and ways that you've had to grow as a white founder who's serving a community of women that you want to be diverse and you want to be like welcoming to a diverse group of women. Yeah, you probably run up against this, but the oxymoron of an exclusive 
inclusive community. So you're right. you're fostering a community to people and you're trying to be inclusive with that group while intentionally excluding other people, in my case, men. So yeah. that as a concept is already fraught <laughs> and <laughs> and is something that I've had to come to terms with my point of view on, yeah, I am excluding some folks in this so mm-hmm. that I can better support people who I actually think need the help I can provide. In terms of where I failed with the actual group that I was trying to create, mm-hmm. my biggest realization is I don't represent everyone's point of view. So when mm-hmm. you are a solo founder and you create a community where you in some ways are the linchpin to that community and you don't have as diverse of perspectives or ex- human life experiences, the same experiences as your own community has, you are going to let people down by mm-hmm. by your inability to just sh- like expand your mind to their experience. Mm-hmm. I do think there is work that we can all do, but in uh, not but, and there's a certain amount of acceptance that has to be, that you have to have me mm-hmm. and you general, which is that you are going to, you're going to, to fail and yeah. and you are going to to not do things right. I mean, a perfect example is during the anti-racism period after George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. that came into the public eye. I think we were all looking for ways to hold ourselves respons- accountable and responsible for the actions we haven't taken and yet the impact that we want to have. So... Mm-hmm. I kind of took a step back, looked at my business, A, realized that one big thing was that I wasn't representing diverse uh, skin tones in my marketing materials. That that to Mm. me was an issue. The second thing that I realized was that I wasn't holding space for diverse opinions that weren't mine, right? That were representing Mm. point of views that I couldn't have, life experiences that I couldn't have. And so on my podcast book, Wine Club, we decided to read take a look at our year's worth of authors and book content Mm -hmm. and make sure that it was diverse and specifically read a book about anti-racism. The book we chose was White Fragility. But this is just a perfect example, which is we record these two episodes, the first Mm -hmm. half and the second half. We're trying, we're just like bumbling our way through this thing because we're trying to be politically correct and, and, be as respectful as possible. And yet here we are, three white people having a conversation, even though white fragility is targeted towards white people Mm -hmm. talking about how their actions and their deep ingrained line of thinking affects Mm -hmm. minority communities, specifically black people. We got a comment on that podcast, a review. Mm -hmm. It broke my heart. I mean, it was just, (laughs) oh, it was just like, I love this podcast, but the two episodes about white fragility are the most awkward, absurd thing I have ever had to listen to. I don't know what these people were thinking. Also, I'm a woman of color. I'm not being defensive about white fragility because I'm a white person who is fragile. That was just bad. And Mm. so, you know, here I am like, oh, we tried our best and we just failed. Yeah, yeah. And yet I have become more comfortable with accepting 
that I will fail again and again. What I hope to do is build a community that knows that they can call me out when I have failed and that I can respond appropriately when that happens. Another example is is what we were talking about, uh, women with an X versus Mm -hmm. women with an E. And even the concept of gendered terminology, group terminology in general. Is that something Mm -hmm. I should be doing or we should be doing? Thought we had it right. We wanted to include everyone. Inclusivity, the the intention was pure. The execution evolved and it was ultimately wrong over time. So, oh, it's been a learning curve. But man, I, I love... I love being in a community where conversation like that is happening, where where you have people in your community who are willing to send you a DM and just be like, hey, saw that. Yeah. Had some thoughts on it. Yeah. What a privilege to to have that much trust and authority and um, respect from someone who actually thinks that, you know, you're capable of change. Mm-hmm. I think it's a privilege. Yeah, I think, well, because I wanted to ask, you that question because we have been like I've been able to talk to you about certain things like I've been that person in the DM and like you've been really receptive to feedback and I always really appreciate that and also just appreciate the like opportunity to be able to talk back and forth with you about just what we're thinking I'm also a white woman curating content and so I'm always like looking at what I'm doing to be like am I doing this in the way that is going to like serve the most people, the most perspectives? Cause I think that's all like in terms of your comment that you got on that episode, I I was curious to see like if the identity of the person, if we would know it and it's like, she might feel that way. And then some other folks might feel different. And that's also a thing that you have to navigate, you know? And so it's helpful to be able to just reflect on them. Cause that's what we need to be doing. All the time, (laughs) literally all the time. (laughs) And I'll tell you, when I read White Fragility specifically, it calls out white liberals who are like, have the best intentions, right? I'm so progressive. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so in the right. I, I love everyone. And I've been doing, you know, doing everything right. I've been politically correct from birth. I'm, I'm, I'm all of those things. And yet how they are the worst perpetrators of white fragility. And I saw myself in in that. So I again, I'm talking about this on a side of of growth that I'm that I've wasn't on 9 months ago, a year right. ago. I mean it it is it is all about your constant your your desire to constantly evolve and change your mind. I think that's in any human, in any person, my partner included, my family, I think that the trait of being able to say you were wrong or or change your opinion is is one of the greatest greatest values a, a person can have, greatest traits a person can have. Okay, one more important PSA. Here's my challenge for you. Take a screenshot right now of this episode and share on social media with a tag to Podgerland and the guest. I want to know that you're listening and I want to shout you out. Also, 
Are you signed up for Padreland's email list yet? Because as much as I love social media and connecting through there, I'm also preparing for its demise, and I want to make sure that I stay in touch with you and we have control over our communication. Not only will you get important updates about this show, you'll get recommendations of other women-hosted podcasts, news related to podcasters you love, discounts on my cute-ass merch, and much more. Okay, let's get back into this interview. So my final question for you in terms of the wave, but also your journey throughout the last year and a half and all the things that have led up to that, what's been like an example of some of your favorite moments or a favorite moment of impact, whether in your immediate circle of women or the women that you serve that comes to mind in this moment that has been able to come about because of the work that you've been doing with the wave? I have loved watching the journey of podcasters who are specifically in my Slack community. I say that because these are women who I get to see a little bit more of their process. Someone that just comes to mind like out of the gates is Yolani. You had her on, on your show. To have a person like that who's willing to give, take part of their day, like, often and show their journey and process of podcasting be willing to ask questions she's always showing up to the office hours she's always doing the exercises you know she bought my i wrote this ebook and sold it and like to a handful right it was a it was a small launch it was my first product launch it wasn't there weren't that many sales initially guess what mm-hmm. she was one of them And I have just loved watching her brand and podcast evolve over time. She just started or launched season two. Mm -hmm. And it's a more professional sounding podcast. And she is actively growing as a host. And her branding reflects her values and the things she's trying to communicate in the world. It is just like the before and after and you know, there'll be more afters, even as she continues to podcast. Man, I have loved watching that from all the small things, right? From from your cover arts, the way you do your cover art, to your podcast newsletter, to your podcast website. She has taken every piece of advice I've ever given and actively tried to implement it and find how it works for her. And you know she's a friend. We we catch up on a on a regular basis. But she is the an example that there's people who want the content and the information and the educational resources the wave is creating. And when mm-hmm. I think, I mean, a bit a great business technique when you're building something is to have a persona. And mm-hmm. so I say this to podcasters: have a listener persona, the person you're trying to reach with your podcast. It's the same with my business with the wave. I have a business persona, and every time I think of who that is, it's Yolani. So. I, uh, yeah, getting to know her on a personal level and getting to see the impact of, of my educational materials resonate with one freaking person has been a treat. Oh, I love that. And I promise you people who are listening that we did not plan this, but Ilani is on episode seven of the Pod Broads and it's such a good conversation. And I love that, Lauren, that you just named her as one of your favorite, like, moments or like people that you've gotten to meet throughout the process that's awesome (laughs) such a good soul 
Amazing. Okay. We have reached the rapid fire part of the conversation. And so my first question for you, Lauren, is who would you name as a podcast mentor or just someone that you emulate or feel inspired by in the podcasting space? This person is male. Shocker. I know. It's it's intense. (laughs) But I was just thinking this this week that I need to send him an email. Evo Terra. He's oh, a yeah, long you know. time podcaster. I've never met him. I'm a huge, I listen to podcast pontifications, his podcast all the time. I think uh-huh. he has the freshest podcasting ideas straight up hmm. and he's been doing cool. it forever. Very OG, cool. I OG. think I met him through Clubhouse. I've definitely like now interact with him on social, but I'm pretty sure I'm it was sure Clubhouse. Is that how you got connected or... I fell in love with, I found his podcast by looking for podcasts about podcasts and just got hooked the way that a podcast will hook you and make you feel like Uh you're a friend of this person. And then guess what? His name pops up freaking everywhere because he is so ingrained in the podcasting community. Like you can't do anything without seeing his name. Um, I, you know, I mentioned you'll hear, you hear it here first. My my goal of networking within the podcasting community, I'm going to get off this and send a, an email to Evo Terra to introduce myself. That's my commitment to the pod broads. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. Okay. And uh, a similar realm. So when you were listening to podcasts outside of like work listening, what would we find on your queue? What are some podcasts that you would be listening to? A lot of business podcasts podcasting mm-hmm. as a concept is is a productivity tool for me to to get more tips and tricks as a as a business owner i am a i'm a gimlet fan uh gimlet media podcasting network i love reply all but you know what i'm also a big audiobook listener too mm-hmm. so fiction mm-hmm. audiobooks um it's either business podcasts or fiction audiobooks that's what i'm listening to when uh, when I'm not doing my own recording. Okay, cool. And final question is, yes. where can my listeners find you and support what you're doing? Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Here comes the plug train. Yep. The best way to, to get in touch with me, Lauren Popish, is at The Wave Podcasting on Instagram. Hit me up in the DMs. I'm running that whole account. It's me behind all of those posts. So if you want a direct route to me, that's the way to get there. We have a website, thewavepodcasting.com. But you know what? If you're going to go to a website, I would recommend you actually check out our brand new, you could call this a Pod Broads exclusive because this Mm -hmm. has not launched yet, but it will by the time that this comes out. So uh, we just, in two weeks, we're launching a brand new one-of-a-kind podcast editing service for women. We, oh, cool. Yes, we, we use exclusively female audio engineers to provide low-cost audio editing exclusively for female podcasters. And mm. we do that by working with women in developing countries, and we pay them a livable wage. So... That is our our mission as a company. The product or the service, it's called Swell. So you can check it out by going to swellpodcasting.com. If you are a podcaster yourself, you're looking for ethical podcast editing that is all about women. That's that's the place to go. And I actually have I have a, a discount code for your listeners. Oh, dope. Yes. Let's hear it. A Swell discount code. It is Podbroads, all lowercase. You can get 15% off your first month of audio editing. And guess what? 
your host Alexandra gets a little piece of that too. So um, oh, shit. <laughs> yes. So that's just, You're just for y'all. You're with surprises, Lauren. I am. I'm, I'm bringing out all not. the treats. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was so nice to get to talk to you in an official manner and find out more about your story that I didn't get to know before. Thank you so much for having me. The student becomes the teacher. The peer becomes the peer. It's, it's such a treat to be on Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue, and everything else is produced by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram at Podraland, P-O-D dot D-R-A-L-A-N-D, or Twitter at Podraland, minus the period. And you can find more of what I do on Podraland at www.podraland.com, where I recommend women-hosted podcasts and feature indie women podcasters. So I hope to see you there. Feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get recommendations and updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode, tag us in it, like that shit, give us a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's our goal. So let's fucking do it. (laughs) 